Hi, this is Sue Burke. Welcome to my podcast. I don't normally take note of national non-holidays, such as March 1st being National Baby Sleep Day. Really, we need a day to let us know babies ought to sleep. It's also National Peanut Butter Lovers Day and Justin Bieber's birthday. But women in history is a bigger topic. In fact, the entire month of March is Women's History Month, so I thought, I'd use that as an excuse to focus a post on women science writers. Yes, I am a woman, and I do write about science, but this post isn't about me. In fact, I'm hijacking this post. This is a guest post by my friend, Rochelle Melander. She's written a nonfiction book for kids, like me, and the title is Mighter Than the Sword, Rebels, Reformers, and Revolutionaries Who Changed the World Through Writing. So where did the phrase, the pen is mightier than the sword, originate? From Edward Bueller Lytton. And what does the phrase mean? The phrase, the pen is mightier than the sword, emphasizes that thinking and writing have more influence on people and events than the use of force or violence. Rochelle says that when she designed her book, she wanted to include writers from as many disciplines as possible. She knew that many kids wanted to be writers and dream about writing the next epic fantasy or graphic memoir. But from her work as a teaching artist, she knew that most kids don't dream of being writers. They want to be police officers, baseball players, celebrity chefs, astronauts, or environmentalists. For that reason, she wanted Mightier Than the Sword to tell stories of mentors from many professions, including scientists. Every single one of the women and men she researched didn't just find their big ideas and easily share them with the world. They had to persist through multiple challenges to succeed. And this is what she learned from four of her favorites. Zengi, a mathematician and poet, was born in 1768. She said there were times that she had to put down her pen and sigh, but she does not give up. When she grew up, women had no legal rights and were forbidden from receiving a formal education. Luckily, she was born into a bookish family. Her father and grandparents taught her medicine, geography, and math, poetry, and astronomy. She became a mathematician, astronomer, and poet, coincidentally, and developed a passion for creating mathematical and scientific texts that were accessible to readers. She described a lunar eclipse for readers who feared the phenomenon was the work of an angry god. Remember, this was 1768. None of it was easy, and she struggled, but she persevered. Ada Lovelace, born in 1815, studied advanced mathematics. Working with her mentor, mathematician, and inventor, Charles Babbage, she translated an article he wrote about his plans for the analytical engine a device that could complete mathematical calculations. She added her own thoughts to his article, predicting that someday this kind of machine would be able to perform many scientific and practical tasks, such as composing music and producing graphics. In her notes, Lovelace wrote an algorithm that could tell a machine what to do. This algorithm is the first example of computer code. Zora Neale Hurston, a cultural anthropologist who studied at Columbia University, was passionate about telling the stories of the people she grew up around in Eatonville, Florida, 
only the first time she tried to gather their stories, she failed. With her new clothes and university accent, she didn't fit in anymore. The next time she tried, she found a local woman to introduce her to the best storytellers. These women brought her to parties where she listened to the locals tell stories and gathered them together in her book, Mules and Men. She wrote, you take up the pen when you're told and write what is commanded. There's no agony like bearing an untold story inside you. Rachel Carlson, marine biologist and environmentalist, lives by the watchword, be curious. Or actually, she lived by the watchword. She passed away in 1964. She worked as a writer and editor for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Washington, D.C. She got curious about tests the government was doing with DDT, a chemical that killed insects. When a friend wrote to tell her that spraying DDT to kill mosquitoes also killed songbirds, Rachel offered to write an article for Reader's Digest. They declined, but she did not give up. She continued to investigate, writing about the problems with DDT in her book, Silent Spring, which warned people about how chemicals like DDT were damaging the natural world. Before her book was released, a chemical company threatened to sue her publisher and the FBI began investigating her as a communist. But this publicity helped the book become a bestseller. She wrote, one way to open your eyes is to ask yourself, what if I had never seen this before? What if I knew I would never see it again? Rochelle's book is inspiring, and I'm sure your kids would love it. I have a link on my website where you can purchase it. Now, if only Rochelle could inspire me to get my desk cleaned up. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. And again, stop by my website, www.susanburkcook.com, and subscribe. May you have an inspirational day. Take care.